day, everyone, and welcome to Community Echoes. Thank you so much for joining me today. Phyllis can't be with us, but I've got Steve in the audio chair. So welcome, welcome. I also have a very special guest today. His name is Rob Shaw. He is the anchor for Czech News in Victoria, as well as a legislative reporter in Victoria. So I'm pretty excited, and we're going to be talking about freedom of information, um, no-fault insurance, and what's going on in the BC Legislature. Good day, Rob, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. Um, I'm just very excited that you're on with us. So, uh, yeah, we've got some issues here with freedom of information. It seems like public domain um, regs and all that type of thing seem to be not so free anymore to the public. They're being charged for that information and uh, people are having a bit of trouble. Could you give us a bit of insight as to what's behind the political motivation of that? Yeah, it's one of those issues that you might not really notice until you have to try and get information from government. It could be, you know, for example, if you're a member of your school community and you want to figure out what's going on in your school board or you're having a health care issue and you want to figure out what's going on in your local hospital or there's different ways in which uh, at times you need to use what we call the freedom of information system to get information out of government. Sometimes bureaucrats kind of won't talk to you or they will block you. Uh, and you have this is sort of like the the backup system, the, the emergency system where you can always get your information from government. And it's worked not that well. I mean, still works, but there's been lots of delays over over the last uh, few years. And then just uh, actually last year, the NDP government decided that it was going to add an application fee to the system. So that means that if you just wanted to apply for information, you're going to have to spend $10 out of your pocket to make a request. You don't know if you're going to get anything back. Maybe you asked for the wrong thing. Maybe you asked the wrong part of government. Maybe what you wanted uh, is all uh, blacked out because it's considered to be, you know, um, information the government doesn't think it can release. Still are out $10. And that's a new change. It's something that Premier John Horgan said that they did because he felt like the opposition, liberals, were fishing for information. They were putting in so many requests. They're clogging up the system. They're kind of dragging things down. And the opposition's reply was, that's our job. That's what we do. We look for information. And the hypocrisy of the whole thing is that the NDP in opposition used to do this exact same thing. They they used the FOI system to uncover scandals and wrongdoing by the then liberal government. And now they've come in and they've really kneecapped it to the point where it's not accessible to a lot of people who have to pay out of pocket just to access it. And I think that's the core of the the core of the issue is when you put a fee on, you put a barrier in place, and then suddenly people people don't want to use a system that is created for them. Yeah, and it all seems odd because we've uh, basically put in for this information. It's been paid for by taxation and our laws and rules. So how are they even constitutionally allowed to to withhold this information from us and not make it free to access? I can see perhaps uh, an adversarial political party having to chuck a few dollars towards it, but not your average Joe who's, you know, trying to find out for their, let's say, health care, for example. Um, you know, you're going against ICBC, 
before we had lawyers and and they at least were able to access your information whereas ICBC themselves had every bit of information accessible to them that you ever had in your life they know everything about you to hold against you um, mm-hmm. and you have no privacy uh, but they basically are claiming they own your medical information like a WCB or an ICBC because they're paying for the service so how you know we've really got to look at these types of things <clears throat> do you have any suggestions for folks who are like let's say facing an ICBC issue and are having trouble getting their information well, it's important to remember that you can get free information if it's only about yourself and it's only about your particular case. So if you wanted information from your local police department, um, you can get that in the CRCMP, you can get it federally. Uh, if you want your own health information, you can access your, you can ask for your records under FOI and not get charged a fee. The problem is that sometimes that's not what people are looking for. They're looking for you know, why Why is it that my local hospital had me in the hallway uh, for care when um, that's, not, that's not what I want in my society and I want to know how many other people are stuck in the hallway for care? You have to pay for that. So the system is kind of built around an idea that, that you can maybe get your own personal information without a cost. It's going to take you a long time. It's kind of cumbersome, but it's still there. It's when you want to know anything else about government, how... Does the hunting permits work in your your community? How do how do the environmental regulations apply to your land? How, those type of things are going to cost you money. They they always government always had a way in its law to charge you a fee eventually. If you wanted to get you know ten years of records from government on something, eventually someone would come back and say, "Hey, we got to photocopy this stuff, and we're going to pull it from boxes. We're going to charge you a fee." But what was changed is it costs you now just to ask. And the application fee is this barrier that takes an already complicated system, already cumbersome, and it just and it makes a hurdle right at the beginning that people don't want to pay. And the Privacy Commissioner, we have a sort of independent watchdog in BC who's called the Information and Privacy Commissioner. He's looking at this. He's the the law that the NDP passed last year to create this very craftily kind of neutered the privacy commissioner's ability to intervene on this issue. It sort of took him out of the knees and said, yeah, you might not like this, but guess what? You can't do anything about it. And so he's trying to find ways about whether he can, he's doing an investigation into it and he might issue a report. So it's not the last we've heard of it, but it really is like, you know, I've covered politics for 14 years. This is one of the most hypocritical, underhanded, moves I've ever seen a political party make because it was a system that the NDP used to use for their own gain, that they've come into power and said, you know what, this thing is really inconvenient. It makes us look bad. Let's just go ahead and just take it out, just kind of put put a really big barrier there so people can't use it against us. And that's essentially what they've done. And for the public, it's difficult because it's kind of arcane. It's a you know, you, nobody, most people haven't used freedom of information before. They don't really understand it. What's the big deal? But it's an underpinning of our democratic system. It's important, and one day you might need to use it, and suddenly you're going to be confronted with these fees that, that uh, make it harder for you to get what you want out of your own government but in your own records that you're right, that you've paid for with your tax dollars. That's right, and uh, I can attest to this because I am a 35-year 
survivor of the Workmen's Compensation Board trying to communicate, get medical information, have uh, people step up to that. So I see what's coming to the general population of the province who is completely unwitting to this uh, system uh, at all, and they're going to be thrown into it with this cumbersome uh, information blockage that they need to have for certain legal time precedences. There's only certain amounts of time where you are allowed to, and with no lawyers helping folks nowadays. How do you see this playing out for us with uh, the the uh, no-fault ICBC scheme that's going to be going on? Well, the no-fault is a... That's another complicated political issue. You well, know, start- you can just look at the WCB. Sorry to interrupt, but um, sure. uh, the WCB is the initial no-fault insurance, mm-hmm. yet you have an injury injury in the workplace, and they're making a decision as to whether your claim will be accepted or not. Now, mm-hmm. how is that no fault to begin with? So there's a false pretense initially as you go into this victimizing system, which apparently the Liberal government did around 2005 do a study that said um, th- there was studies done, perhaps even maybe it was the NDP pr- uh, showing it to uh, the Liberals, that uh, 75% of the homelessness in the province of British Columbia was due to WCB and ICBC incidences. And I know full well that this was a real report because I had hands on it. I read it, and it was here in the library at our Act of Support Against Poverty here in town, yet nothing to do with that has ever been brought up. So No, I, I haven't heard that myself. I, I think, um, you know... <laughs> The access to timely information through WCB is certainly an issue I've heard my entire time uh, in government, you know. And this government in opposition was certainly critical of that. I'm not sure that they necessarily improved it at all. They've done nothing. As a matter of fact, David Eby is, I believe, the personally responsible for phoning the RCMP on some citizens who went in to try to point this out to him. So so there's um, so much hidden things going on, and we wonder why our medical system is in such peril, and, and this is part of the reason. They were aware at the time of this study that the, the um, whole social system was going to fall on the backs of the RCMP. They were fully made aware of that within this system, and that the doctors were not going to be able to... Um, how do you find a study like this? I know it was there. <laughs> do they have a library of these things uh, somewhere in the province, or how does a person find these? I guess it would depend on who who wrote it and where it might be. Um, you, you know, it's a, if it's a government study, it could be in the ministry somewhere. If it's a if it's a different study from somebody else, the, the government may or may not even have it. Yeah, um, I, I believe the Liberals were in power at the time, and it was the NDP that had, had researched this and come out with this study. So here they are, they've done all this work, and then they turn around and, and pull something like this on the citizenry with uh, no one even realizing what's going to be happening, correct? Yeah, and I think like one of the, the, the implications of the FOI changes that they've made is that it's opened a door for what we call public bodies, to also charge more fees, and that is your local university or college, 
it's your local police board or your police department, it's your local health authority. Um, there's a kind of ripple effect when government sets a bigger policy change like this that goes through what we call public bodies. And they all can now start charging this application fee. And so that it, it is more than just the government. You're right. There are other areas in which when you crack down on transparency, you you create these kind of um, echo effects of, uh, <laughs> of it in, in other in other agencies. When it comes to, you know, ICBC and no fault, uh, we're, we're sort of watching the reality of no fault kind of hit right now. And it's taken a little bit of, uh, of a while, but we're seeing cases of, you know, a cyclist who got a bill uh, when he was in an accident uh, hit by um, hit by a car uh, a few months ago and broke his arm mm-hmm. and, and sort of and sort of ended up getting a bill uh, for that. The government was kind of uh, put on its heels a bit about and didn't make a lot of sense, and they had to intervene and try to change some of those policies. We've seen other sort of uh, serious accidents where the victims of the accident don't feel like they received the financial compensation that they wanted. Or it, medical, nothing. the medical treatment end of it is what's really uh, the, the atrocious part. I mean, uh, they send you off to the Ministry of Social Services. It's a big catch-all for anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, then the medical system doesn't give the therapies, the proper therapies. People get sent off onto medications and turned out on the street to the public and to their families. Yeah, the changes were always predicated on this really um, interesting idea of whether ICBC would could change itself to go from a, a, a corporation that was always kind of fighting you on your medical care and trying to nickel and dime you and trying to keep its costs low to a corporation that would support you. Because the whole system is supposed to be about you don't get the ability to sue for damages with most of the accident claims now, you get put into a system where government and ICBC are supposed to be more helpful and more upfront about your medical care. And, you know, a lot of people are going through the system right now wondering if that if ICBC has really changed. Is it still just trying to save money by making sure you don't get the things that you need to get, the rehab or the, or the uh, medical devices? Or is it is it following through with what it promised, which was a culture shift? Yeah, and yeah. That's the open question. Yeah, and I'm wondering whether it's going to turn into this quasi quasi judicial nightmare uh, that the WCB is because it's. Uh, way abuses of power. I mean, you've got people who are not even doctors employed as medical advisors that are overturning decisions of doctors. Are we going to snowball into this type of a system where um, it's already backed up our medical system? I mean, sure, we've had COVID and everything, but the atrocities and the being behind within our hospitals and the staffing had in large portion to do with these malfunctions within the uh, fault system of healthcare. It's turned into somewhere how all of a sudden it's a liability. You're not just an injured person. You are a liability to this insurance company. So they fight you every, every inch of the way. And in a constitutional manner, they have a legislative power. They aren't necessarily within common law, correct? Uh, well, there's, there is, a, you know, legislative changes that backed up what ICBC has, has done and, and has moved authority in a lot of cases from courts 
to what they call the Civil Resolution Tribunal. That's right, which, which, which is, is just like the uh, WCB uh, Tribunal Board. So I, I am I'm thinking correctly that this is the avenue that they're traveling down, and people don't really understand the, what's going to be happening here. Yeah, there's lots of you know debate over that that system where some people will argue that the courts are so overwhelmed that it takes you months, if not years, to get simple uh, matters through on damages under the old system, and that with civil resolution, you've, <laughs> you've got a different way to do it. Okay. I, it'll, depend on, it'll depend on, you know, um, how this all shakes out. We're just starting to see the beginnings of how this system that they've changed and ICBC you, applies you, to people. Do you see what I'm saying, though, how health has become a liability to the province rather than something that needs to be treated as something needing to be taken care of? Sure. Like, yeah. why are we even, uh, if someone's hurt in an accident, they should just receive the medical care. Why is there a body of, of legalness even accepting or denying the fact that these people get medical treatment is where I'm coming from. It's like ridiculous. We are supposed to have a universal medical system and they talk about it's going to be two tier. Yet we, we already have that with WCB and ICBC, let alone our sun lives and our this, that and the next thing. And, and uh, thank goodness. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the uh, new legislation that just came through uh, to do with um, the camp? decision how that oh, the, might the, affect us the court decision that, that came through on the on the canby yeah uh, yeah well that's been a long long long-standing sort of challenge uh, over what we consider to be our two-tier health care system which I just explained for, isn't correct <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> yeah, right and so, so um, you know the immediate impacts of that are, are are sort of status quo for this government because it's not it's not something that I think there are there are cracks showing in the system that the government has to address, and and, and some of them on private health care include the use of that TELUS uh, virtual doctor. Oh yeah, I system. saw I saw that, and I just went, oh my god, what is going on in these people's heads? Right, where you have to pay a certain amount of money to access this app that lets you get at better access to medical. Uh, practitioners virtually. Oh yeah, and, and whether or not that is something that we consider to be a part of a two-tier healthcare system, and then there's also <laughs> we're seeing we're seeing doctors uh, who are now charging or trying to charge fees uh, per month to for residents to what they consider what they bill as improving their service. Uh, and if you don't pay these fees, you don't end up on the the right list that will get you all of the services from your your doctor's clinic. That's so that's right. also under investigation. And oh, there's a couple it's just kind of, a nightmare. It is a nightmare. Yeah, and it's, it's getting it's worse. certainly in an area government's working. The government's got hit pretty hard on it uh, in the fallout of the healthcare crisis we're in right now, and so. It's, uh, it's top of mind. People are talking about it, for sure. Absolutely. Speaking of talking about it, Rob, are you going to really cut me off at 20 minutes for today? Are you that busy a guy that you can't hang for another 20, or what do you say? <laughs> I, I, I have another meeting. I'm sorry. Uh, but no, I... that's okay. I just hope that you're uh, willing and interested in coming back on the show and talking some more about these topics. Sure. So Wonderful. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. Oh, hey, you're very welcome, and thank you so much for coming on. This has been Rob Shaw. He is the legislative reporter and and anchor for Czech TV News in Victoria. Thanks, Rob. Take care. You too. We're going to go for a break now. Be back shortly. We were four guys that uh, 
I met Paul and said, do you want to join the band, you know? And then George joined. And then Ringo joined. We were just a band who made it very, very big, that's all. Join me Thursdays at 9 o'clock for Everything Beatles here on Apple Scrofts. Thursday nights at 9 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair is back this fall. October 1st and 2nd, check out a great variety of antiques and collectibles at the Roller Dome. Admission is just $5, $4 for seniors and students, and children under 6 get in free. A weekend pass is $8. In support of the South Bowl Community Association, the 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair, Saturday, October 1st from 10 to 5, and Sunday, October 2nd from 10 to 4 at the Roller Dome. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Forecast from Environment Canada becoming cloudy this afternoon with wind from the northwest at 20K and a 40% chance of showers, a high of 24 with a high UV index. Tonight, cloudy, a 70% chance of showers early this evening with the risk of a thunderstorm, a low of 11. And Tuesday, cloudy, the 30% chance of showers in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud, a high of 23 with a high UV index. Good day. Hi. Welcome back to Community Echoes here. Um, we just were so happy to have Mr. Rob Shaw, uh, anchor for Czech News and legislative reporter on, starting a conversation about health care and where we're going to go. I hope that you all get a chance to kind of chip in to us, either by email at uh, cfisfm.ca or... Give a call, leave a message, do something like that for us. We'd like to get the community talking about their experiences, good, bad, or indifferent to what's going on. And, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of garbage going on with accessibility to our information. And I have Herb Martin here, who's with Stop the Spray, as well as a couple of other other environmental-oriented organizations in town. And uh, very well spoken, and he has had problems with freedom of information as well. You guys took a long time, hey Herb, to to get the information you had, and now it's become maybe inaccessible again. Uh, well, the, the government used to uh, uh, list how much, uh, uh, how many hectares they spray every year. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of important information. Uh, this is uh, actually tax funded, um, our taxpayers uh, funded uh, activity. Um, which the a lot of people don't know that um, forestry, forestry companies basically deduct the cost of spraying from stumpage, so it's uh, foregone revenue to the to the uh, to the government. So in effect, the the, the taxpayer is paying for it, and uh, there's all sorts of problems with uh, with sprayed cut blocks, and uh, you know you're looking at uh, decreased uh, wildlife. Uh, in these areas, you're looking at higher fire risks. You're looking at um, over long term, uh, you know, monoculture plantations that have a, a smaller chance of success. So this is, uh, it's, you know, public should be concerned. Uh, there's also recently information coming out that um, once they spray these areas with glyphosate, the glyphosate actually persists in in some of the berries and other. Uh, 
uh, vegetation that isn't killed directly. I would think it. I would think it sinks into the ground, and I imagine it would kill the fungus and the the myo. Oh yeah, the myo. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of all effects it has. But it, but one thing that groundwater uh, really that's it's definitely has, can have effect on that as well. But uh, so for people picking berries in areas that uh, have been sprayed before. Uh, blueberries can uh, the the glyphosate can show up in these blueberries for years afterwards. Uh, if you're hunting moose, uh, uh, you, you know the, these the the aspen that's not killed by the glyphosate will actually sequester the glyphosate within its um, uh, within its uh, uh, within the the uh, the plant itself. I have an interesting factoid about that when you mentioned the moose. Yeah. Um, friends of mine years ago, their son had cancer, a form of a brain cancer. And at the cancer agency at that time, one of the questions that they were asking people was, do, do you eat wild game? Hmm. And and that was a really interesting fact to me because when I was talking about glyphosate, my friend said, well... This is what they'd ask these people yeah. uh, at the time of their child having cancer. And I thought that that was rather um, interesting that it may have been that far back because this was 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Well, I think what they're, what they're finding with, uh, with animals that, and, and people too, that if you ingest glyphosate, it does have effects on your gut biota. biota mm-hmm. And um, uh, that has all sorts of long, long uh, standing uh, health effects. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, there's a lot they don't know about. That's what, because there's been no studies done and, on and it. There, there's been no funding towards exactly. doing this. So, in yeah. fact, here, once again, our government has taken it upon themselves to spray poison. And we have to not say anything but poison. Uh, this stuff is indefensible as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's been banned in either 28 or, from what I understand, could be 33 countries now. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, even even Quebec, uh, I believe in 2001, decided that it didn't need to spray herbicide anymore in, in the forest. So, you know, that's that's there's a Canadian uh, an example. But uh, in Sweden, for instance, they start... Um, uh, the use of uh, all herbicides in their forests in 1982. Holy it, man, really? Yeah, yeah. We, 82? Yeah, I believe that's right around when we started spraying. Jeez so, almighty, what know. is with us? I don't even yeah. understand it, the mess that our governments have us in. Yeah. I am just so excited about this new lady that's come on board with the NDP. I I don't even, I can barely control myself. I actually got up and kind of ran around my house and went, oh my God, seriously, maybe a competition to EB? Oh, thank goodness. You know what I'm saying? It's well, like... So, competition's always healthy. Oh, uh, conversation. Mm. What we're talking about here is conversation and they seem to be cutting us off from every conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully this will bring people out to be a bit more forthright. Australia as as well, um, has been finding that the glyphosate, uh, their weeds, their rye weed of some kind, is becoming resistant to it. So if they're using it enough, then there's actually a resistance that comes up to this stuff of the uh, pestilent plants. Well, that's that's a really interesting point because, uh, you know, glyphosate by itself isn't all that effective. So there's been all these adjunct uh, chemicals that they, they add to stuff like Roundup and, and other uh, formulations. And 
the, the basic point being is that uh, the so-called scientific studies have never actually studied the uh, the final formulation. They've only said the, the so-called active ingredient, which is glyphosate. Right. So you're meaning like the Roundup and stuff, the combination of well, yeah. So so yeah, they they there's all sorts of things they add to to the glyphosate to make it more potent, and that has never been studied. Hmm. So. Uh, you know the so you know, so they were making all those claims all that time. Those foresters in BC that said, "Oh, this doesn't do anything," and they really had no idea and no comprehensive study on what. They yeah, were no, on no our one forest. really did. Yeah, because Jeez. it was never the, they never studied the actual chemicals that they were using. They were just studying the so-called active ingredient. Right. But, I mean, the the other ingredients they add to this stuff makes it more. Mo- potent more lethal mm-hmm. and you know we should be studying all of that yeah so for instance you know some of the studies that have happened around prince george uh, they've uh, tagged uh, moose and they found um, well they know that the 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 moose uh, have su- uh, in in sprayed areas have suffered roughly a, a two-thirds decline in the last 20 30 years and uh, uh, one thing they found was that a lot of the uh, moose they were finding, the tagged uh, with GPS colors, uh, had actually uh, died of starvation. And the strange thing was that their bellies were full, full of aspen. Right. Oh, had, my God. That had been sprayed. So the, you know, the working theory, and which really no one's really looked at uh, too, uh, too scientifically, is that the, the glyphosate does... It acts like an antibiotic. It kills the gut biota, oh. and, and so you know the moose um, have a are, are, have no ability to digest the aspen when they eat it. It's exactly. literally they've got no digestive fluids yeah, left. So and in Ontario, they have a horrible thing happening with their deer and all of their uh, what do you call it ungulates? Is that right? The yeah. hoofed animals. They're having horrible times with them dying, and nobody can seem to put a finger on it. They think it's some. Well, there you go. Right. Yeah. And it's just the nobody's uh, doing the job to look at it. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, and and it, and it's sad. So the you know the government, uh, you know they should be they should be publishing this information. It should be free. Uh, it should be public knowledge, uh, and they should actually post it. I mean, if if and you know the the public in general is paying for it, and they should and they they should know where 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 is this happening how much of it is is happening yeah cuz you're walking your dog and riding your horse and out hunting and rolling around on the grass and having picnics in areas that yeah. you know you're not privy to knowing this and and what signs they do have that i remember are just these little tiny round ones that you need to be aware of. The city, in fact, has done it over by my place, by Paddlewheel Park. There's a big field in there. And I remember them having that. And I think to myself, there's like 30 people a day walking their dogs through that. You know, the bears climbing the trees, they're absorbing this through their paws, through their skin. You know, we all take in everything in that context too, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so that, that's that's one hat that I wear. The other hat is uh, right now with uh, with Ginters saving the Ginters, mm-hmm. and uh, just to let everyone know, uh, there's going to be um, a meeting tonight outside of City Hall at five forty-five. Uh, basically, uh, trying to get uh, City Council's attention. Uh, there's a, a a community plan. Uh, 
It's been in effect for, I think, over 10 years. And it's it still calls for the extension of foothills all the way through from where it ends on 18th uh, now, all the way through to um, uh, Ferry Avenue. And uh, so that'd be four lanes through the right through the heart of uh, the Ginters uh, Park. And uh, the also calls calls for the extension of Massey all the way up that escarpment up to Tyner. So you're looking at a huge expense here, uh, and you're uh, you know in, in order to primarily to uh, encourage more development in that area, and a loss of a lot of green space. And that's uh, it's it's a really a, a sad prospect. There's that park is heavily used, both by dog walkers, uh, by bikers, runners. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's all sorts of values there that you don't find elsewhere in the city. It's easy access for a lot of people. Uh, there's bus uh, access uh, right to it. Uh, I, I was just speaking with some folks that were in from, they were traveling through the city, and they had just been, because I was down here in the Q3 on Saturday getting people to sign the petition, and, and they had they just happened to luck chance by it and they went oh my gosh we were just there yeah we'd love to sign the petition and i i hope that they were allowed to they have a bc uh postal code of course i asked them and and they had accessed it so i thought well geez i don't think just locals need to i think anybody who has an opinion about having a public green space that uh you know being so close to the fairgrounds too that's just an amazing spot to be you know recreationally developed it is, and and there's, um, uh, it's an amazing resource actually, uh, as as a byproduct of uh, Ginter taking out a lot of the uh, uh, coniferous uh, forest there uh, when he was living up there. Uh, it's all mostly it's come back as deciduous, uh, which is you know kind of rare to have that much deciduous forest uh, in in around Prince George, and. Uh, the, the the amazing thing about deciduous forests is that it's uh, a great habitat for all sorts of animals and birds. Absolutely. So if you get you go in there in the spring, early morning, it's just the uh, the bird song is amazing. Yes. And uh, you know you, you've also got uh, in the fall if you want to go and uh, berry pick, there's all sorts of uh, berry bushes along there, mm-hmm. which again, the, you know, good good for the birds and good for people too. There's there's a lot of people to go in there and, and berry pick. That's right. That's right. So, do you know how many signatures you're up to on the petition here just I th- yet? Or? I think uh, there's someone said it's approaching four thousand now. Holy! Which is, you know, between the uh, online petition and uh, paper petitions, uh, where it's getting up there, and it's I think it's just over a month and a bit uh, that we've started this. So mm-hmm. that's uh, you know it's quite a quite a response. Yeah, there's a lot of people really enjoy that space and and don't want to see it just eaten up by ugliness right well, you know, especially like you said the de, the, since it's deciduous I, I would suspect it would make if there was some horrifying fire that it would make a great fire break really you know if oh yeah no it's getting it, right down to it yeah no it's 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 terrific uh, fire buffer and and right in the middle of the city and you know if you wind up putting these roads through and then all sorts of development goes up I mean those those uh, those houses would be sitting on a hill that would be uh, baked in the summer. Uh, would be prime uh, uh, fire hazards. Absolutely. And, you know, this as it is, we've got a quiet buffer uh, in the middle of the city. Um, we we don't have to start uh, spending out massive amounts of money to, in, you know, improve the roads uh, system. 
if you know the and to improve the storm drains as soon as you start building subdivisions in there you're going to require uh, probably another twenty dollar twenty million dollars worth of uh, uh, storm sewers uh, you're going to be looking at uh, uh, increasing the capacity of Tyner from a speaker over to the top of uh, University Way. Uh, you could be looking at replacing the bridge over Shane Creek with a uh, two-lane uh, two at the moment with a four-lane bridge. So you're probably looking at something like 30 million bucks for just for the road improvements, never mind the, uh, the cost of construction of the extensions of Massey and um, Foothills. And you're looking at, like I said, the $20 million for storm drains. So really expensive construction, uh, you know, that are, is going to be subsidized by Prince George taxpayers, uh, the, who, pro- you know, the majority of uh, will, will never have the chance to buy those homes. Those That's are, the truth. Those are expensive homes up yes. there. Yes, yeah, they will be. And uh, there's some water run through there. As well. Okay, so let me get this straight. And this is up, this is all along back Cranbrook Hill, right? It's basically Cranbrook Hill up there, I yeah, believe, that runs up to yeah, the between, university. Between yeah, between University Way and um, and the Ginter's Dog Walks, mm-hmm. the path that they've set up so far. Yeah. There's just some really steep slopes. Now, when they, when they built the University Way originally, uh, I think it was originally supposed to come in somewhere around eight million bucks, and uh, I think the the total cost easily doubled that. So that's sixteen million dollars, probably not including the uh, the lawsuits that uh, went on for years. Mm-hmm. And that was in nineteen ninety three dollars. Dollars. So that's um, if you look in present day dollars, it's double that. Yeah. So they spent for about uh, six kilometers of road uh, something like thirty two million dollars in today's money. Unbelievable. And if they double uh, the so Tyner from uh, from us from uh, from Aspica to the top of University Way again another just under six kilometers. Unreal. That is crazy. Well, I think we got time to take a break here. Is it Steve? Is it time to take a Oh, we do got another minute. Okay. Well, we got um streams running through there as I was just saying. I wanted to kind of extend that conversation, but we'll start it now. Yeah, no, that uh, so the Massey extension actually goes through we go through seven different uh, drainages. So it's not uh, it's not uncomplicated construction, it'd be extremely expensive. Seven, seven bodies of water seven run through that drainages. area. Yeah, there's seven different Holy creeks. Holy man! So that's just over what two and a half kilometers, because that that that'll, that'll be that'll go. Does that big. come from that lake up top of Cranbrook Hill or yeah, something? Yeah, that's what one of them. The so okay. Shane Creek uh, right? uh, comes out of Shane Lake, which okay. is Forest for the World, right? And that's the main drainage. But there's mm-hmm. other smaller ones as well. And there's actually springs in that hillside as well. There's a yeah. lot of water that yeah. gets soaked up up there. And so what kind of environmental studies have these guys pulled off to prove that it's even eligible or able to build on this spot? Uh, well, the, the the city is actually aware, I think. is There's some planning of the, some of the planning departments aware of the problems, and they've they, they forecasted that the... Um, uh, the, the storm drainage would have to be updated if, if uh, more construction occurs up there. Right. And uh, that was their, their estimate of the cost of, uh, of, of that would be about 20 million bucks. Hmm. And, and I mean, we know what their estimates are worth, really. <laughs> Turn from 10 to 30 in a flash, a heartbeat. Yeah. But it is time for a break now, and we will be back talking more about our lovely city. 
Minds in Motion is a fitness and social program provided for people experiencing early symptoms of dementia and their care partners. Each fitness session is followed by social time, an opportunity to connect with others living with dementia. An in-person series is available in Prince George on Tuesdays through September 6th at the YMCA. To register or for more information, contact the Prince George Resource Center at 250-564-7533 or email info.princegeorge at Alzheimer's. BC.org. Effective government engagement is a key component to many advocacy campaigns. Learn the rules and regulations around lobbying and government relations and the techniques you can apply to build effective relationships with Vantage Point's three-hour workshop, Government Relations 101. Facilitated by BC SPCA General Manager of Strategy and Innovation, Jeff Erton, registration and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Government Relations 101, September 20th from 1.30 to 4.30 through thevantagepoint.ca. You asked and Two Rivers Gallery is pleased to deliver. Creative Space Sundays will be back every week starting September 11th. From pipe cleaner sculptures to styrofoam prints, be sure to drop in every Sunday for an artful afternoon and let your creativity soar with a new activity each week. Free for members with no registration necessary. Creative Space Sundays from 1 to 4 starting September 11th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada, becoming cloudy this afternoon with wind from the northwest at 20K and a 40% chance of showers, a high of 24 with a high UV index. Tonight, cloudy, a 70% chance of showers early this evening with the risk of a thunderstorm, a low of 11. And Tuesday, cloudy with a 30% chance of showers in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud, a high of 23 with a high UV index. Hey, we're back with uh, Community Echoes here at CFISFM. So we've been having great conversations today. I've got Herb Martin here, and he is a man of many hats about town. Um, and one of them is to do with the meeting tonight at City Council. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so we're, what we're going to do is uh, just have a little bit of a rally outside uh, uh, City Hall at 545 and uh, just to show the councillors that, uh, uh, you know, the public's concerned that uh, we'd like this OCP changed. And all they have to do, the, 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 basically the uh, right-of-ways are already owned by the city. There's nothing they have to, to do except to basically legislate that uh, Ginter's is a, is a park and, um, and take, that, um, take those plans off the, the drawing board. And uh, basically limit their liability too. For you know, uh, there's there's all sorts of uh, liability that uh, is created when you you sort of set up a, a plan. Uh, developers start counting on it, and if land is sold, uh, they can come back to the city and say, "Look, we we bought this land on the basis that uh, there was a road going through," and um, you know, so. This is something I think the vast majority of Prince George residents uh, want that park to stay there that way. Uh, let's 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 get the council uh, motivated by a public show of uh, support that um, we've got to take these these lands these these roads out of the uh, out of the long long range plan and uh, and you know it's it's interesting because in the council uh, later on tonight. Uh, they're going to be voting on uh, a change of the OCP uh, on uh, at the inter- intersection of uh, Speaker and Tyner. A developer wants to take uh, land out of the uh, out of the green um, uh, well, out of the park, basically, and uh, and out of agroforestry, 
uh, zoning and put it into residential uh, into into residential zoning. So you know, and the, once again, this is on top of a hill of a big slope. Yeah, and, yeah. Okay. So so you know the the uh, the council's you know ready to vote on that change the plans for a developer, but. As far as the public goes, who you know is quite, uh, I think, happy for the most part, using Ginter's as a recreational area, and not having to up, pay for more roads, and upgrading sewer systems, and uh, and doubling uh, road access. Um, you know, where's where's the council resolution there? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, and especially when we have. Um, other other areas that could be developed, like the Hart Highway, or you know, other places in College Heights. That section uh, alongside of the highway there that seems to be forested, that's closer to the main highway, right at um, whatever that road is that runs up to the. I guess it's University Way, correct? Is that what crosses they call that? Where is that Tyner Boulevard that runs all the way to the university? Is that yeah, how that Tyner, goes? Tyner, okay, then, the then like at Tyner yeah. in the highway, basically, there's a large area that that would be more accessible and not on the side of a hill for crying out loud. Exactly, as well as out east. Oh, like yeah. if you'd go up to um, Eastway Esso there to the traffic circle, and you go and you drive to that south section, there's beautiful beautiful cleared lands that seem to be curbed, roads built in there, easily put sewer and access, that have beautiful subdivisions all in there and drive that all into residential tax. Well, I mean, yeah. if you want to change something, stop changing the agricultural land and the parks land and change that uh, if it's light industrial or whatever it is up there. There's a huge area. Yeah, they, I, uh, we, we talked about this before. I took it upon myself to drive up there and look around and I went, oh my God, there's just so much there to be done. Yeah, I mean the the various levels of government, uh, federal, provincial, and municipal, have, have sunk over thirty million dollars into developing that uh, boundary road area. Really? So, yeah. And it's they're a, just letting it sit there, and they're waiting for some kind of industrialization to happen, and yeah, right next to an agricultural land, yeah, I think as well as the airport. Like, yeah, I mean, basically, you're looking at uh, thirty million, over thirty million dollars spent. Uh, that's more than a decade ago, and uh, very little development uh, as a result so Someone far. Someone had mentioned a fellow had planted hay in there, but then everybody just romped their 4 by 4s through it. I, I went up there, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I, there's little roads that walk out. I walked up with my dogs, and there's little ponds with uh, uh, bulrushes, and there's frogs hopping around all over, and all kinds of beautiful ornamental grasses. It's just... All wide open field, I highly suggest for people to drive out there and just for a nice Sunday drive or whatever and take that boundary road because I'm sure there's a good portion of the population doesn't even know that's there. Yeah. No, you know, the the public's already invested in that area. Um, That's a more logical place to put uh, Mm -hmm. if you want want more housing. And, and, you know, I I understand that uh, there's... uh, some some studies saying that uh, Prince George needs another ten thousand homes in the next decade. Mm-hmm. Well, rather than a couple hundred here or there on top of University uh, Way, let's uh, 
you know, let's let's look at a different area. Make some common sense and yeah. not have halfway up a hill. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you could look at other other areas to see the landslides and all the stuff that's happening. And do we really trust them to do the studies initially to prove that these are viable places to be putting houses? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, up by the airport there in Boundary Road, there might be a bit of airport noise, but... People in every city everywhere deal with airport noise. Uh, there's a quite a large population of places that live out there already quite happily and aren't bothered by it. Yeah, no, there's a lot of people live out in Pineview that mm-hmm. uh, love it. And, uh, you know, really, Prince George Airport's not one of the busiest airports in the world by any stretch of the No, they are an international, but it's it's <laughs> not that uh, it didn't happen the way they thought it would, right? No. I mean, no. uh, for some reason, they developed that up there, thinking maybe that there was going to be all kinds of warehousing or something? Was well, that... international air traffic was the idea that they were going to steal away Anchorage's uh, freight uh, <laughs> and uh, it was just never going to happen. Yeah. It was uh, just pie in the sky. And it, w- it would be an evolution if that was to happen anyways and I think the city would be well better suited to be getting some residential tax money out of that than having it sit there empty. For sure. Yeah. yeah it seems logical to me. Yeah. Totally. So um, we got another major issue to do, which I kind of touched on earlier, to do with um, homelessness and uh, a part of our opioid crisis. And my claim is that that has a lot to do with the negligent behaviors of our medical system doctors and um, our care providers, actually, our financial backers for people having uh, medical aid uh, that created a huge, huge problem for us, obviously. Apparently, Medicine Hat has uh, found a a system that's been working for them. Herb, can you tell us a bit about it? Uh, Yeah, so Medicine Hat, uh, a town in um, Alberta, roughly the same size as Prince George. They've got 63,000 people. We've got a a bit more. They decided in 2009 that they were fed up with the homeless situation, and they decided that uh, they gave themselves a five-year plan. And they wanted to end homelessness uh, within that time period. And they succeeded. They, they, what they describe uh, uh, fun- functionally uh, homelessness uh, is that uh, no one uh, uh, spends more than uh, what, three consecutive months uh, without a, uh, a residence in the city. Now, they, it's, it's sort of fluctuated a little bit uh, 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 recently. They've uh, had uh, up to 30 people homeless. But uh, I mean that's a far cry from Prince George, where holy man, I think we're up in the thousands. I would suspect. I, I think we're looking at about eight hundred, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Like yeah. what they say. Well, the, the definition here is more than six months uh, without a permanent residence. Okay. So I mean, there's I think there's actually higher than that during the summer. Uh, there's a lot of people that maybe um, come to Prince George for the summer period, summer months, and, mm-hmm. but then go back to wherever uh, for the winter. Yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, 800 is, is a lot of people. That is significant, absolutely. And, you know, Especially it's caused, when it's there's mental issues and criminal issues as well, right? Yeah, and, and uh, the interesting thing is, so uh, what they do in Medicine Hat is they, they basically just look at it as trying to find, you know, some some uh, some sort of shelter for these people, and it doesn't have to be. Um, it can be a, a, a basement suite. It could be a, an apartment. It could be uh, even an RV lot. Like because some people actually have have RVs, but no mm-hmm. place to park them. Yeah. So they're they kind of approach this problem with a with a multifaceted approach, and 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 it seemed to work. 
they found that, um, like I said, the, the homeless was essentially eliminated. Uh, shelter use has dropped by 64%. Uh, what were some of the other numbers here? Since 2009, uh, 1,700 people who were homeless uh, in Medicine Hat, including 424 children, were uh, put into housing. And they found that they're actually saving money doing this. They say it costs anywhere from twelve thousand to thirty-four thousand dollars on the on the very high end to provide housing for for people. Uh, but they found that uh, some of these people on the streets, uh, you know, cost the the system one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year to provide resources for. Mm-hmm. By the time you know that there's cops called, if there's emergency nurses, medical, yeah, any kind you know, of social yep. s- social help issues, yeah. And um, and this is uh Nanaimo has actually uh, done some studies and they say it costs them between 14 and 22,000 to house people. And uh, they find that uh, uh, people on the street cost an average of $53,000 to uh, to support like, right. You know, which is astounding because we're not actually doing much for them at all. We're not doing anything but, for but them except get, putting bylaw services up to create more problems for well, them. Well, yeah, but you're you're hiring all these bylaw services and every time there's a, there's an incident, uh, you know, the cops are called or someone has to be driven to the hospital for emergency care. That's right. That you know, rings up the victimization bell really all over the place, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and that's uh, that's really a person needs to think about that. So these communities are spending twelve to thirty four, let's say thousand dollars per person to yeah, I, I think, house the people, yeah, yeah. and yet our city's solution is to tear out our green spaces and build, you know, hundred. $400,000 houses and, and uh, you know, $300,000 condominiums and things like that, which isn't helping or uh, uh, enabling anybody who doesn't have that kind of money to be housed. And you would think that that rolls downhill and that that would move up. But these houses that are being built are for new population of people who have money, really. Well, yeah, you know, and, 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 and so the, and the, there is no real solution happening by them developing what the way that they are developing now. No, and, and everyone, they, you know, it's always presented as progress, but it's not progress because, you know, the the average Prince George taxpayer is never going to be able to afford those houses up on the hill, mm-hmm. and 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 they're going to wind up paying for the infrastructure to that's needed for them. Because it's really expensive to build in those areas. Absolutely. So you know what are what are you know it's it's not progress at all. It's it's moving backwards. The average tax to facilitate a couple of rich property owners who, well, in fact, you know they have a right to invest, but there is no commitment to any type of city plan, and it's not like they have a right to be. You know, they invested, they have good land. That doesn't mean that they're going to lose money or should be able to sue the city over it. Right? Well, look, there's there's all sorts of developers that want to make money doing this, right? But, mm-hmm. but, I mean, we have to start looking at, you know, when people tell us that development is needed, okay, what kind of development and how much it's going to cost? Um, there's other other places, other towns and cities where developers are required to cover the cost of uh, roads and sewers. Mm-hmm. Um, why is the Prince George taxpayer paying for this? Yeah. You know, um, to put and, money in the pockets of the buddies in City Hall, I guess. I see the same companies building these things over and over again, and they yeah. seem to be this little clique of companies. And uh, frankly, I've heard a lot of malfeasance from these guys, from a lot of the workers that work for the companies. 
you know, that uh, aren't being made public. And we don't have a paper that gives us that information as readily as it should. There isn't a news outlet anymore that allows us to have that information. We're kind of all in the dark about it. And then it slaps us in the back of the head when we're looking at a $33 million parking lot, right? I mean, did anybody... Go to was anybody other than City Hall involved in that decision for that debacle? Right? Yeah. You know, like uh, these guys have been inherently making bad decisions for quite a while. Yeah, and it's you know it's the old uh, mushroom analogy, right? You know, right. Basically, keep keep them in the dark, and that's right. Feed which them is <laughs> what this whole freedom of information thing, and and uh, we're getting it shoveled on us pretty hard. I gotta say. Yeah. Yeah. Some other interesting numbers here. They, they found uh, uh, with people being housed in their own uh, places, there's a 28% reduction in the number of days in hospital. And there's a, a 66% reduction of the days spent in jail. And uh, court appearances actually increased by 44%. So, you know, the, you know, there's less people being arrested. There's less people sp- spending time in jail. And the people that, that do get arrested wind up, you know, you know, facing facing the music, rather so, than just getting rolled over into a system that's so overwhelmed exactly. from other things that have been taken care of due to having housing. So you know, maybe it's time for this. You know, for people in the city to say, look, we we have to take care of the problems that we have, instead of just relying on you know more and fancy new new developments to yeah. supposedly increase uh, tax revenue. And we have to look at the fact that the uh, way the government's doing this, so it is written, so it is done, is not the way to be doing things. We've got to actually involve stakeholders rather than just a bunch of guys in suits making decisions for whatever fits their needs as policymakers. Their people on the ground in the front lines of these things need to be the ones in there making the decisions. And the way they're locking up our freedom of information and and a lot of other ways for us to to educate ourselves about these things are are being cuckold basically. Yeah, no, there's look, there's a civil civic election coming up in in a few months, and um, uh, Eric Ellen on the show this morning said uh, he quoted some statistics: only less than one in four Prince George residents actually get out and vote. In the civic elections. Well, why? I mean, yeah. there's, um. there's, uh, like I said, I'm so excited about this lady coming on to the NDP. I cannot pronounce her name, so that's why I'm not saying it. I have a really bad problem with uh, pronouncing some names, so I'll just not embarrass myself. Um, and Angelini or Angini or something? Uh, yeah, yeah it's blank, something sorry. like this. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> it is so exciting to think that yeah. we have this uh, up and coming hope from the doldrums of what we've had to put up with and deal with. How, how, how are you feeling the same way? Oh, I am. But, but, but you know, it, more importantly, like we've got uh, some civic uh, uh, mm-hmm. proceedings that are coming up really soon that and, are very important. Yeah, and and again tonight, you know, if show up at uh, city hall, make your voice known, and uh, let's see what these city councilors can do for absolutely, us. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, definitely, it will be a very 
very good showing tonight because there was a lot of people saying that they were coming down great when they were down here at the farmer's market so yeah well thank you again so much herb for coming on always the wonderful informative guy and especially for that medicine hat thing that was huge because we really do need to look at successful successful outcomes to the homelessness problem instead of just beating it with a stick. All right, this is Echo Wiley, and uh, thanks for being with Community Echoes. Thanks again, Herb. Right on. Bye for now, Steve, and bye to all you guys out there. This is 93.1 CFIS-FM in Prince George, proudly supported by community groups like the BC Old Time Fiddlers.